All right. Well, hey, good morning to all of you. Good to be back a couple months later. And uh, I got permission from Andy to wear this hat. I normally don't wear hats on Sunday, but I'm trying to fit into the one church vibe a little bit. And nobody else has a hat on. Oh, okay. We got one. All right. There's a couple over here. Um, Also, it helps to tent kind of these lights. I can actually see you uh, this way. But uh, my name's John West. For those that don't know me, I serve as the executive director of a ministry called Groundswell. Uh, we do a lot of training and coaching for pastors and leaders. And uh, I've known Andy and, and Leanza for quite some time, followed the journey, and excited to have the opportunity uh, to share with each of you today. Uh, we're in a series called You and I. And uh, yeah, it looks something like that. I'm already feeling warm fuzzies just looking at the graphic right there. Uh, you and I talking about relationships, and I know we've started with relationships in the church, uh, and then dating relationships, and then for those of you that are married, last week Eddie talked a little bit about marriage relationships, and today I'm going to talk a little bit about those outside of the church and how we need to connect and interact uh, with people in our neighborhood, in our marketplace, all that kind of thing. So the other thing I want to say, I'd like to pray together before we dive in, because Andy is under the weather. I kind of got tapped, got that 24-hour tap on the shoulder, like, hey, dude, would you mind coming in uh, tomorrow? I had got the flu or something. So can we just pray for him, and then we'll dive in and do our thing after that. Sound good? God, we thank you for this opportunity today just to gather together to worship you. Lord, I thank you so much for Aaron and just her ministry here at the church. I thank you, God, for just the spirit of worship, uh, Lord, that she's able to, to create. But God, more than anything, we thank you for your presence. And we know your presence is with us. God, we experience that every week when we come. And uh, today, God, I just pray a special blessing over uh, Pastor Andy, Leanza, their family. God, that you'd protect them, that you would heal them, that you'd restore them. Uh, God, give them victory over this sickness. So we just pray that in Jesus' name. We ask God for you to really move. And then guide and direct our time today, God. Help us get outside of our comfort zone to actually move across the street, to go across the, you know, the company business, to to move across the the table at at school or whatever it might be, God. Help us get to the other side and actually connect with people, many of whom might not look like us. They might not believe like we do, but Lord, help us get out of our comfort zone and uh, guide this conversation today in Jesus' name. Amen. So there were a couple friends that had this lifelong argument. One was black, one was white. They were fishing buddies. They liked to hang out a lot. They grew up together. And the argument went something like this. The black friend said, God is black. And the white friend said, no, God is white. And they would argue over this kind of jokingly and rib on each other and all that. And one afternoon after fishing, they were driving down the road to kind of make their way home, still arguing over the complexion of God when a truck driver hit them and they found themselves in an instant at the throne room of God. They're at the pearly gates. Peter meets them. They're still arguing. I'm telling you, he's black. No, no, he's white. And going on and on and on. And Peter says, hey, hang out in the waiting room and God will be in shortly uh, to talk to you. And so they do. They wait there, they hang out, and pretty soon they hear the steps, right? 
And God comes into the room and the light is blinding and they can't quite make out the complexion. They're trying to figure out uh, what, what the skin color looks like. And, and God comes into the room and his glory and everything. And he looks down at both of them and he says, Hola, muchachos. Buenos dias. And all the Latinos in the room said, Amen. A lot of my Spanish-speaking friends say we're all going to be speaking Spanish in heaven. I'm not sure. Uh, it does make more sense grammatically than English, actually. But, um, <clears throat> but how foolish are we, right, to think that we have sort of the, the category in mind of who God is. God is, God is so much bigger than our differences, He fills the universe, the Bible says, with his presence. God cannot be constrained by, like, our kind of people or those kind of people. God doesn't have, like, a kind of people. God is for everyone. God represents everyone. And what I want to talk to you about today a little bit is this idea that oftentimes when it comes to our faith, we we tend to look at the people around us and we think, That sort of encapsulates like our faith and who we run with. And I want to encourage you today to take a step and move to the other side. Move to the other side. Put yourself in the shoes of another person. Think about what that neighbor's like on the other side of the street and begin uh, to reach some new people for Christ. So I want to do this by sharing two stories And you can turn with me to Luke chapter 10. This will be the first story we share, Luke chapter 10. And this is a very familiar one. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard this story uh, many times, the story of the Good Samaritan. But it's Luke chapter 10, verse 30, is where we're going to pick up. A high-profile lawyer, a teacher of the law, uh, approaches Jesus, and he has a question for him. And it's interesting, the question, he says, "Uh, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, basically, well, dude, you're the expert, obviously. You're the teacher of the law. You tell me. What do you need to do to inherit eternal life? And this is what he said. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the right answer, isn't it? And he thinks Jesus is going to say, oh, wow, you're so brilliant. Wow, you just, you got it. You nailed it. Way to go. But instead, Jesus says, yeah, right answer. But if you want eternal life, it's more than just having the right answers. He says, do this and you'll live. It's not just knowing enough, knowing the right answer. You actually need to love your neighbor. I think sometimes we can think if we have our theology right and we understand the Bible, we understand how everything works and we know the commands of God, that's enough. No, no, you got to actually do this. And so the teacher of the law is kind of like, well, yeah, 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 I get it. I'm not really interested in doing that, though. I just want to win an argument. So let me ask you a question, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? It's all about loving our neighbors. Like, who is my neighbor? 
because I'm cool loving the little old lady down the street that's making cookies for me and is really sweet. But the crazy guy on the corner that's kind of got the twitch and is tweaking a little bit and a little out there mentally, like, is that my neighbor? Because he's not part of the neighborhood. Jesus says, let me tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about um, the boundaries of the neighborhood, because that's what you're asking, right? And the way this story goes is there's a stretch of road, maybe you remember it, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho at 17 miles. And you know that road I'm talking about? The teacher of the law is like, oh, yeah. So a guy's walking down that road. It's a pretty dangerous road. It's pretty treacherous. There were caves alongside of this road from Jericho to Jerusalem, bandits, robbers. People would hang out. Bad people would hang out. Kind of like walking through a rough neighborhood late at night. And a guy gets basically beaten, stripped. He gets robbed. He gets thrown to the ground. And he's lying there like half dead. And then these two other people come up. The first is a priest. The second is a Levite. And the teacher of the law probably thinks, okay, this is the moral of the story that these two guys then help this guy on the side of the road. But no, that's not what happens. The priest and the Levite actually pass by on the other side of the road. And when they think about the other side, they think the other side is what you do to like avoid the people you don't want to hang out with. Confession. Has anybody ever been walking down the street and seen some unsavory character or somebody else coming towards you and gone to the other side? Anybody? And the rest of y'all are lying. So yeah, that's good. We got half of you. Um, and that's often how we think about the other side. Like we go to the other side to avoid people. What's interesting is the priest and the Levite are the good people, the church people, the kind people. The priest is trying to get to basically the temple to perform his duties. And the Levite didn't want to touch the body because in Numbers 19.11, it says if you touch a dead body, you'll be unclean for seven days. And so he's like, I'm not going to do that. But the moral of the story isn't even so much about the priest and Levite. Instead, what he says is this. Check it out. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And it actually goes on. Now, we know this is the story of the good Samaritan, right? But back in the day, Samaritans were not good. Samaritans were actually the bad guys. The Levite and the priest were the good guys. The Samaritan was the bad guy. And Jesus is illustrating through this kind of bad guy what it means to be a good neighbor. And what he tries to get at at the very end of this entire story is this. Look at the, look at the quote he says. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? We all know the answer. He says this. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. 
Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here's what I want to illustrate with this first story. And then we'll kind of get into the, the main um, guts of this thing, okay? The question that the teacher of the law wanted to know is, who is my neighbor? And what Jesus tries to say is that is actually the wrong question. Everybody is your neighbor. There are no boundaries. The question is, will you be a neighbor to everyone? Which is very different. We at One Church have heard over the last few weeks about what it means to be a you know, part of a church, to love one another, to love those that, that God has placed us with in marriage. We've learned a lot about how to love people on the inside. But what about all of the people outside of this church that don't care about Christianity and faith, that live a different lifestyle, that maybe don't like even some of the things you stand for or what you say or what you do? And the question, well, who are we talking about who is our target group? Who are we going after? That's the wrong question. The question is, how do we live in such a way that everybody we come in contact with experiences God's love? The neighborhood, in other words, is a lot bigger than you think it is. Now, I'm curious for many of you, how many know this person right here on the screen? You know this person? How many used to watch this back in the day? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is Mr. Rogers, and I'm sure you've seen Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood a few times. I actually watched the movie with Tom Hanks, and there's a moment, anybody watched the movie? There's a moment in the movie where Mr. Rogers just looks at a person, and it's quiet for like three minutes. And I was starting to feel like tears coming in my eyes. And my wife looked at me and she said, are you crying? Are you like crying right now? I was having this Mr. Rogers moment, you know, in my heart. And, um, but a few, few years ago, I was introducing my youngest, she's eight now, but, but Grace to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Because she she's never heard of Mr. Rogers. I think there's like a new one, Mr. What is it? Yeah, Daniel the Tiger's Neighborhood. It's not the same. It's not the same. Um, and I'm watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and my daughter is with me, and I am just kind of getting mesmerized uh, by Mr. Rogers. He's got kind of this hypnotic voice, you know. All the kids that watch him just kind of get into this, like, catatonic trance. It's like, ah, yes. He's taking his shoes off, you know, putting his jacket on. And I'm watching this with Grace. Isn't this cool, honey? And a few minutes go by, and then my wife came in. And she said, hey, honey, what are you doing? And I go, oh, I'm just watching Mr. Rogers with, with Grace. Well, Grace had actually left the room, and I was just watching Mr. Rogers by myself. Uh, that's kind of the effect that he has. And he says all the time, right, um, would you be mine? Won't you be mine? You know, won't you be all right. Won't you be my neighbor? And there's something about all of us that say, yes, I want to live in your neighborhood. I want to be your neighbor. I want to be a part of a community. I want to be a part of a family. Who likes to be excluded? We all want to belong. There's a study back in the day 
uh, a team of Harvard sociologists created this study. It was a physical health study called the Alameda um, investigation. They studied 7,000 people over a three-year period of time, and here's what they found. It was a study on community. They found that isolated and lonely people were three times more likely to die prematurely than others. In fact, the results of the study showed very clearly that the number one factor in the determining termination of longevity of life was not smoking, drinking, even drug use. It was not obesity, poor eating habits, exercise habits, or anything else. The number one factor in longevity of life was the number of strong social ties an individual possessed. To put it simply, I summarized it for all of you. It's better to eat ice cream with close friends than to eat broccoli alone. It's studied. It's proven. Smoke, drink, do whatever you want to do. No, I'm just kidding. Not going that far. But it's better to eat ice cream with close friends than broccoli alone. We are hardwired for community. And what we have in this church, and, and again, some of you are new. Some of you are just coming into this community. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. People that love each other. People that are there for one another. But there are so many people in this neighborhood. And when I say neighborhood, I mean just this area that are alone, that are isolated. I could give you the stats, but anxiety, depression, loneliness, isolation, it is through the roof in our culture right now. And we have to learn as followers of Jesus to radically redefine, when we think about the other side, we're not talking about the side of the road we walk on to avoid people. When we think about the other side, we think about folks that need the love and grace and forgiveness of God. And so we'll go to the other side intentionally to meet people that need the Lord, that need a friend, that need love. So let me come to your second, let me give you the second story here. You can turn to Mark chapter 4 if you want. just kind of an interesting story and I'm going to I'm just going to like be jumping through the chapters really quick as we go through this but I do want to unpack this for you a little bit to get the heart of Jesus and kind of how he lived. This is Mark 4:35. By the way, the disciples and Jesus are on we'll say the good side of the tracks in this moment. They're in the land of the 12 they're in the place where God has given kind of the promised land to his people. And, and they're sort of on the good side. And good things are happening on that side. But then he says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there also were other boats with him. Essentially, what Jesus is saying to the disciples doesn't make a ton of sense right away because the people on this side are all like loving each other and having a great time and people are being healed and miracles are happening and good things are, are taking place. And Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. 
Now that might not mean a lot to you when you read that, but let me describe the other side for just a minute. On the other side of the neighborhood, east of Galilee, was a region called the Decapolis, or the land of the seven. Remember that number, seven. This region came under the influence of paganism, and the land of the seven represented the seven pagan nations driven from Israel during the time of Joshua. This was a dark place. This was a place dominated by the devil, by sexual practices, by a lot of demonic possession, a lot of bad business practices, paganism. Rabbis don't go to the other side. Priests and Levites don't hang out in the other side. And as the disciples are traveling to the other side in a boat across the lake, getting ready to go, you'll find that a storm brews and kind of comes up and the clouds and the lightning and it gets kind of rocky. And no doubt the disciples are afraid, not just of the storm, but of what the storm might symbolize. Because when we get ready to go to the other side, storms come up, lightning. You know what Jesus is doing? He's like asleep in the boat. He has no, he's not threatened. He's not worried about the other side. But man, they're sort of frustrated and and they kind of come, Jesus, don't you care about us? And he kind of calms the wind and the the waves and they get to the other side. When they get to the other side, they've got this welcoming party. It's really amazing welcoming party. It's one person and uh, he happens to be naked. And he's living in the cemetery and he's possessed by a demon. You know, hey, welcome to the other side. Good to have you guys over here. There he is, all of them. It's right there, demon-possessed, living in the cemetery, right, among the tombs, um, on the other side. That's the guy that welcomes them. And you have to imagine the disciples are like, Jesus, this is what we were saying. Why are we over here at this other side? He had what the Bible describes as um, a legion of demons, which that would be 6,000 demons, uh, a legion was sort of like um, a group of people in the Roman army. Oddly enough, a legion was emblemized by a boar's head or a pig, which was kind of a pagan um, animal that they would worship. And Jesus does this crazy thing on the other side with this guy who's naked in the tombs, cutting himself and demon-possessed. He actually exercises the demons. The guy falls at his feet sends them into a herd of pigs. And by the way, there's so much symbolism in this passage. But anyway, into the herd of pigs that run down the mountainside and they actually drown in the lake. And the disciples are like, what just happened? The guy comes to Jesus and basically says, I want to follow you wherever you go. And if I was Jesus, do you know what I would have said to him? Yeah, you need some discipling. Uh, Five minutes ago, you were naked in the tombs, possessed by a demon. Jump on board. Let's go to the other side. But you know what Jesus says to the demon-possessed man? No, I don't want you to go with me. I actually want you to go back into your neighborhood and your side of town, and I want you to tell everybody what I've done for you. And then Jesus says to the disciples, all right, that was our sort of mission Let's head back to the good side of town again. They get in the boat, and they go to the other side. 
that seems like a really strange story, doesn't it? What's interesting about this story, and I'm just going to unpack this, because you don't always see this when you're kind of walking through Scripture, but they then get back to the good side of town, and Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Have we all heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Do you all remember how many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. Twelve basketfuls that represent the twelve tribes of Israel, that represent the land of the twelve, the land of God's blessing, the land of favor. And again, a lot of symbolism going on. Jesus goes back to the other side, and there's twelve basketfuls left over to say, I am blessing this side. I love this side. I want to multiply my my goodness to this side. I want to feed you from this side. Twelve basketfuls left over. Then, after that miracle, in Mark 6, he's like, guys, it's time to go back to the other side. Look what it says. They're crossing over the lake. They're going back to the other side. Demon-possessed land. The naked guy land, right? Uh, They're going to the cemetery land, the pig land, the other side of the tracks. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And here they are. But as soon as they got out, it's going to be a different welcoming party. The people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region. They carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into the villages, towns, countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed on the other side now. And you read in the next chapter, and on the other side, guess what? He did another feeding. He fed the 4,000 in the land of the seven. In the Decapolis, in the land of the seven, essentially groups of people that were excluded from Israel. He, he was in the pagan nations now, the seven pagan nations. The other side, he fed 4,000. And guess how many basketfuls were left over on the other side? Seven. Interesting. So what is Jesus trying to say through this process? What he's trying to say is, um, hey, disciples, you want so badly to stay on this side. Or as comfortable, where God's favor is, where you're blessed, the feeding of the 5,000, the miracles. But I'm not just about this side. I'm about this side and I'm about that side. Don't ask me who is my neighbor. Oh, only the people on this side. No, no, no. This whole neighborhood belongs to me, and we got some neighbors on the other side that need miracles and love and grace. They need the power of God. And the first time they go to the other side, it is scary the first time they go. There is a storm. There are waves. There is this crazy, weird dude that meets them, blows away like any category they had of weirdness. Like, this guy is really weird. But in doing that, he spreads the gospel. And the next time they go, just to confirm that this is also our side of town, he does this incredible miracle. 4,000 people are fed, seven basketfuls left over. And I got to imagine the disciples are like, 12, 7, feeding 
obedient. Maybe God has called us to this entire region. Maybe we're to be neighbors of everyone. Maybe we need to stop discriminating, get outside of our comfort zone, and go where it's not comfortable, where it's weird, right? Where it feels funny. Like the people that don't look like us, talk like us, they're in a different income bracket. They're a different education level. They have different issues and disabilities and, and things that, that don't maybe aren't the same as you. But, but you get to the other side and you realize somebody's got to do it. And as soon as that begins to happen, look at what happens. All of a sudden, God begins to move and people are changed. And, and now the neighborhood just got a whole lot bigger than it was before. Because it used to just be this. And now it's like all of this. It's beyond who is my neighbor. It's beyond target groups. It's beyond the people that look like us. And I love this this quote, um, kind of going through the end here. The priest and Levite went to the other side of the street to avoid people different from them. Jesus went to the other side of the lake to find people different than him. So let me bring it home. Mr. Rogers said it really well. Uh, He said, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And you know, people are dying from isolation and loneliness. Can I call out a few people that we don't always want to go to? Um, it could be that isolated widower who never comes out of his house because he's afraid. It could be the activist screaming on social media. It could be the immigrant that just arrived from Africa, from India, from Saudi Arabia. It could be the sexually confused barista, it could be the angry mom, it could be the strange kid. Who is my neighbor? Wrong question. Be a neighbor to everyone. There's a song written a long time ago called Breathe Deep the Breath of God. And it was written to try to illustrate the incredible scope of God's love. And the fact that we often try to categorize people as like or unlike us and how Jesus just kind of breaks through all those barriers and says, they're all my kids. I love all of them. And some of them are lost. My kids are lost. And I'll leave the 99 to find the one, but those, those are not those people, the other people. Those are my kids, and they're lost, and I've commissioned you to help me find them. Like, they're all a part of my family. Like, we have to help people find their way back into the family. And so this song illustrates all of these types of people that are very different from us, and yet, when you hear the words and the categories, I want you to think, God loves them. God loves them. Those are his kids too. Those are his kids too. So I probably won't do this as well as Andy can do it, and I'm definitely not going to wrap it. Um, But on a spoken word, uh, kind of that concept, 
Let me just read it. And I want you to think about these names, okay? Politicians. Oh, we'll start with that one. <laughs> we'll start, start with that one. Morticians, Philistines, homophobes, skinheads, deadheads, tax evaders, street kids, alcoholics, workaholics, wise guys, dimwits, blue collar, white collar, warmonger, peaceniks, suicidals, rock idols, shut ins, dropouts, friendless, homeless, penniless, and depressed, presidents and residents, foreigners and aliens, dissidents, feminists, xenophobes, and chauvinists, creation, evolution, perverts, slumlords, deadbeats, athletes, Protestants, and Catholics, housewives, neophytes, pro-choice, pro-life, misogynists, monogamists, philanthropists, blacks and whites, police, obese, Lawyers and the government, sex offenders, tax collectors, war vets, rejects, atheists, scientists, racists, and sadists, artists and biographers, straight and pornographers, gays and lesbians, demagogues and thespians, disabled and preachers, doctors and teachers, meat eaters, sweet street sweepers, judges, wife beaters, long hair, no hair, everybody, everywhere, breathe deep. Breathe deep the breath of God is how the song goes. And what I love about the gospel is how radically inclusive the love of God is for all people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone I just listed and anyone in this entire community that would believe in him would not die, but would have eternal life. That is an invitation to everyone. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter your history. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you live on. Don't worry about the guilt, the shame. Bring it to Jesus. That's the love of God. He loves everyone radically, radically inclusive. And what's so beautiful about the love of God is he doesn't allow you to stay where you are. He challenges you to draw closer to him, to be transformed, to be changed, to be holy, to be different. But we, as the followers of Jesus, we lead with love. We lead with a lifestyle that's different. We lead with Jesus, the death of Jesus, the Savior of the world who died on everyone's behalf. And our job is to go to the other side to bring that message. So where is God calling you to go? Who do you need to talk to? Who have you been avoiding? Who do you tend to, like the priest and Levite, end up going kind of to the other side and avoid them? Family member, business owner, someone in your community, a part of the city, kind of drive around that part. Is there anybody God's put on your heart and you're like, I don't really want to connect with them. I'm too different than them. They don't believe the way I do. They have a different political affiliation. I've blocked them. 
Maybe God's saying, it's time for you to go to the other side. That could be the other side of the lunchroom. That could be the other side of the street. That could be at the other side of the tracks. But I think what God wants to say to you is, get out of your comfort zone and be intentional. And I want to pray for you. And I'm praying for those of you that are followers of Jesus that have decided it's enough to just hang with my people that look like me and talk like me and just kind of pull myself away from the world and and I'm just going to do life with these people. I want to challenge you. Expand your horizons. Connect with somebody new. Find someone different than you and be intentional. And if you're sitting here today and you've never experienced the love of God, And you say, I feel like an outsider, quite honestly, John, even here. And I don't know why. Can I tell you something? God loves you so much. If you don't feel like you fit, belong, you got too much in your past, too much guilt, shame, whatever it is, let me tell you something. God loves you so much. (laughs) He died for you. Like, let the kindness and love of God draw you to repentance to say, Lord, I just want to give my life to you and follow you. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning as we gather together today and as we think about the relationships and the community and what what we're talking about in this series, Lord, especially as we think about those on the other side. God, would you stir our hearts? Lord, would you put a face in our mind? Would you put a a group of people on our hearts? Would you put a family on our hearts, Lord? Someone in our neighborhood that we've avoided. Someone that we never step out of our comfort zone to connect to. Lord, would you put a face, a group, Lord, someone on our hearts, Lord, and commission us today to go, to make an impact, to shake a hand, to take someone out to lunch, to get to know somebody different from us, Lord. Would you help us to share the gospel? And Lord, if there's anybody here today that does not know your love, that does not um, feel, feel welcome, for whatever reason they feel outside of the family, they don't feel like they belong, whether they're watching online, whether they're here in the room, Lord, would you show them how much you love them? And if that's you today and you feel that and you want to run to Jesus and you want to receive his love, can I just tell you it's as simple as saying, God, I surrender to you. Forgive me for all the stuff I've done in the past, all the stuff that that doesn't matter anymore, quite frankly, Lord. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to receive your love. I want to receive your mercy. I surrender that all to you, Lord. Make me a new creation. Welcome me into your family. I'm telling you, if you pray that prayer to God, he'll do it. He loves you. And God, as we close with this song of worship, I pray, Lord, that you would Um, Just stir our hearts continually, Lord. Stir our hearts through this song and show us, God, these lyrics are true. And this is something we need to do as a body. One church, we can't be about just us. It's a big neighborhood. And we're called to be neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Would you stand?
And just sing this song. Just sing it out to God. Worship him. And, um, and then we'll close.